Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moscow with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one podcast network. We've got a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Last week, I tried to venture down south to talk to Troy Thomas at Servite High School, but we had some technical issues, so I didn't get to talk to Troy. This week, I'm headed north to the beautiful Central Coast, all the way up to Lompoc High School. Joining me here on Believe is Andrew Jones, head football coach, Lompoc High School. Andrew, how you doing? Tony, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. I, I got to tell you, years ago when when they would assign us our games and everybody would see Lompoc, Arroyo Grande, uh, Atascadero, we would think, who wants to go up there? First time I went up there a couple of years ago, you guys were playing Arroyo Grande. Man, I look forward to coming up there every single time one of those games gets scheduled because it's such a great place to do a high school football game. Absolutely. The Central Coast is a, uh, a hidden gem. You know, there's some some great football being played up here. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, even a lot of the uh, college recruiters will fly into L.A. and they'll float around L.A. And sometimes the ones that want to take the extra drive, they might find uh, a hidden gem in a, in a football player out here. And we've been able to have a couple guys be successful and, and go on and play college football as well. Yeah, a couple from up there in the NFL. For me, from Lompoc, Napoleon Kaufman comes to mind right out right out of the gate. Um, before you got there, the program was kind of in, I don't want to say disarray. In 04 and 05, they go 22 and 5 as, as a program. From 06 to 09, their record is 12 and 28. You come in immediately and turn things around going 11 and 3. What was the key to that success that first year for you? Well, I think, you know, the first thing was trying to surround myself with some quality coaches. Um, you know, I was at that time a lot younger than I am now. Um, and so being 25 years old, um, just getting married, you know, it was a tough task early on, but uh, I was able to get Coach Cross to kind of be my wingman there. Roger Pacheco, who was a longtime offensive coordinator uh, on the Central Coast for, you know, over 30 years. He stuck around with me to help me out. And then um, I was able to get a couple friends that I had played with that played college football. So first was getting the staff dialed in first uh kind of helped me with the vision that we all wanted to try to accomplish and then the second thing was we've always had great athletes on campus and i think there was just a little bit of a disconnect there before i got there to try to keep those kids um interested in football and get them dialed in and you know obviously going to school being on time um getting this getting what they need to get done in the classroom and kind of uh you know you know get those kids to realize that uh, there's a little bit more to life than football and um 
I think that was the key, getting all the kids out there that should be playing football and dialing up, you know, the best, surrounding myself with some, some people that could help guide me in um, what I wanted to get accomplished. And as a new coach, everybody comes in and they have these visions. I want to win. I want to do this. I want to do this. But did you have a specific plan or did you lean on a lot of these guys with a lot of their experience and say, okay, how are we going to get this done? Well, um, absolutely. I mean, I kind of, uh, you know, as a player, I was uh, kind of a sponge, you know, went on to Hancock and Chris Dutra and Matt Almaguer helped me out a lot there. And then when I went to Upper Iowa University, kind of just take things from, you know, each coach, whether it was good or bad, and kind of learn from all of them and kind of use some of their tactics and the way they approach the game of football. Um, and then when I got a chance to play in Italy, I played for a guy named Mo Ankney, who was a tremendous mentor for me. And, uh, you know, he was another guy that, you know, really helped me, you know, early on. So just basically, you know, being a sponge, learning from all those guys, knowing that, you know, at some point I'm not gonna be able to play football or baseball anymore. And so I just thought to myself, I got to be involved in sports somehow. And the way to do it is through teaching and coaching. And um, everything kind of happened so quick early on for me. And I just tried to learn from those guys and try to apply it to what I wanted to get accomplished. Being 25, you know, young and seeing kids that are 18, you know, ironically, sometimes when we have older coaches on a staff, we're closer in age to the kids than we are our own coaches. How was it with the older kids, your seniors that may have been 18 and you being 25? Did When you came in, did you get their respect right away? Is that something you had to work on? Well, I think it took a little bit of time. You know, for me, I think it was a little bit different because, you know, I grew up in Lompoc and obviously went away to college, came back. And um, a lot of the kids that I coached my first few years, I either uh, played with their older brothers or um, maybe the parents were friends of mine. And so I think early on it was, you know, I just kind of knew guys. And I think there was a little bit of an excitement that, you know, a younger um, coach that may be up to date on, you know, current trends in football. And um, it was really just trying to get them all an opportunity to to kind of buy into what we were trying to do, whether we won or lost. It was more of the approach. Of if we do things right and we work extremely hard, you know, typically good things happen to people that work hard and it may take time, but eventually things will get turned around, you know, and I was fortunate enough to have, you know, an administration that, uh, that totally had my back, you know, my assistant principal, who's now the principal, Paul Boomersbach has been, you know, kind of the uh, backbone for me. And then 
Also, uh, Tom Blanco, who was our head trainer, um, who just recently retired, even our trainer, he's probably seen, he has seen more Lompoc football games than anybody else. And so having those guys there that, uh, you know, believed in me at such a young age and, uh, you know, I knew they had my back and I, I don't think any of us, including myself, thought the success was going to happen so quick. We all figured it was going to, ha- you know, take a lot of time. And so, uh, you know, that's for me, if, if there is a young coach or somebody looking to revamp a program, you got to have uh, a connect there with the administration and the people around the school that uh, push all the buttons. And um, I was fortunate enough to have that from the administration to, uh, you know, our uh, athletic director and then the the coaches that were around me. Well, and you talk about success real quick. First year you go 11 and three, the next year you go 14 and 0. And over the next several years, you, you lose an average of one and a half games every year. Double-digit wins every year, CIF championships, league championships. I, I think if I did the numbers right, you're like 49-1 and one in league games over that span. Once you started getting that train rolling, 2011, you guys go 14-0, and 0, win a CIF championship. Did the kids coming in as freshmen immediately buy in and said, hey, this is Lompoc football, this is how we do things? Was it, was it easy for them? Well, I would hope so. Um, but, uh, you know, kids nowadays, they, the kids that I coached in 2010 compared to now, they're just, it's, it's getting different, more different every year. Um, but for the most part, I think kids understand that, uh, you know, in our area, if you come to Lompoc High School, the expectations, you know, they never change and, uh, they won't change. And, um, you know, that is pro Tony, that's probably the hardest thing that myself and the other coaches have had to try to instill in them is, you know, getting into the top was so hard and, you know, obviously it can be stressful at times and, it was difficult, but staying, you know, relevant, staying at and near the top as one of the better teams in the county is the hardest thing um, to to get them to continue to practice with the purpose. Um, that's the hardest thing, you know. It really is because just because it says, you know, Lompoc on across our chest doesn't mean that we can just show up and we're going to win, you know? And I think sometimes, you know, the players think that, uh, sometimes the fans surely think that, but, uh, we can't not do what the previous teams have done. And that is put in the work, uh, do, do what the other teams have done to stay relevant. And, I think for me, um, that's been the biggest challenge um, 
not the X's and O's, not the game planning. It's uh, okay. The season's over. Uh, first day back in January. All right, here we go. We're back to work. We're in the weight room doing our zero period, getting up early. And the, uh, the expectations are the same. And we expect to win. We expect to, um, you know, be, you know, in the mix for a league championship. We, we always want to practice on Thanksgiving. And um, obviously that's changed. That's more difficult now because it used to be, hey, we made it to the second round. We're practicing on Thanksgiving. Then they changed it to the third round. I think this year it's the finals. Yeah, the finals this this year, last year it was the same as well. So, hey, if you're practicing on Thanksgiving, you're you're playing for a ring. Exactly. So, um, you know, I you know my second year, I can recall. You know, we came off of a championship, and we had lost some pretty good linemen, but we had a lot of skill guys coming back and. You know, I can remember having our preseason meeting basically with the way the format was to get into the state championship. We kind of had to run the table. And so we had to bring it every week. We had to go 1-0 each week. And by looking at the criteria that the state, you know, put forward, um, we had to go 14-0. and And that's what we did. And I think that's that was probably the toughest pill to swallow for me is, you know, you got a group of young men, one of my better teams I've had that they did everything I asked them to do every single thing. And, um, you know, for some reason, you know, getting, listening to them announce the, the, the two teams that were going to play in the finals, that was probably the biggest disappointment in my career is seeing gentlemen get into a room and not follow the criteria that the state, you know, put in front of them, you know. And I can remember going up to the Oakland Coliseum to watch Jared Goff, Marin Catholic versus Campolindo, knowing that we were playing the winner of that team. And then, you know, the next day we get – we find out that we're not going and uh, our commissioner basically was like, well, Fresno's never had a team go and they were 13 and 0 and, you know, the backdoor handshake got us, you know, and that was probably the toughest thing to sit there and tell the kids do this, follow my lead. I promise you, if we do this, we're going to go. And so the fact that we beat Aurora Grande early on in the season, they were being considered to go to the D2 state game because they won CIF2. When you looked at, you know, common opponents, strength of schedule, um, winning, you know, winning your division, there wasn't a question on our end if they followed the criteria that we were in. I mean, we were a shoe in and uh, that, right there was when I know uh, you could do all the right things, but sometimes politics get in the way. I can remember going up to a coaching clinic that off season and the Washington union coach like sat there and 
just apologized. He's like, we were getting ready to turn our gear in. We knew once we found out you guys won that Friday before, we knew we were out. And, uh, you know, it didn't make it any better that he said that. Well, it made it a little better, but he's just like, he was apologetic, you know. And um, so I had to kind of change my preseason meeting now. And sometimes you can do everything right, push all the right buttons. And so I was kind of glad that Cal High Sports still acknowledged us as the uh, state champions that year because of, uh, you know, when the commissioners get together and don't follow the criteria, that's what, uh, that's, I was appreciative that they still, you know, Mark Tennis acknowledged us as the state champion because that was, that was probably the most disappointing thing. And to set the example for the kids, you know, you go in, you're disappointed, but then you say, Hey, you know, we can, we can only control what we can control. You know, this didn't work out our way let's let's bounce back and, and get after it next year and I'm sure that's what you've done how did the kids respond to that the next year and, and come back with a vengeance because after that the, the next year you went 12 and 1 well the next year is uh you know we had a good team coming back you know we had LaVon Coleman who went to UW and Nico Hayes who went to Idaho State coming back we were uh junior heavy the year before and so um we were excited and we were all right well if they're not gonna they're not gonna put us in then we're gonna have to prove everybody wrong but we just so happened to get moved up that year um to a division that uh you know I don't know if I've ever had – I don't know if I could combine all my teams together that I've ever had and beat the teams that we had to go against, like Sarah. Um, and, you know, Shamanad was in that division. But I think it came down to Sarah and Shamanad that year. And we gave them all we could, you know. we It was uh, – I think we lost by 10 that year. But, uh, you know, it's uh, – that was a great group of kids and uh they kind of that first year 2002 I had seven or eight sophomores up and the year before I actually was the head freshman coach so that group of kids with uh you know Taylor Cornejo, Nico, Levon, Josh Powers, Willie Baron um that group really kind of put Lompoc football back on the map and um they kind of were that that class that set the standard for all the rest of my teams that I've had to kind of hey that's the measuring stick right there you know they they're the ones that set these expectations and got us back on the map you know yeah and sometimes it's the kids that do it and it's the legacy that they leave and people come in and they see you know league championship banners and signs in the locker room and they think may I want to be a part of that do you find that that helps motivate kids? And we all know that kids have changed, but kids are still kids. Do you have to do a lot of that? Or do they look around the locker room and say, you know what, I want to be a part of that and I'm going to work hard to get there? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, um, we have a, tr- you know, we, we've always had a tradition. And um, I think it goes back to when Coach Warren was the coach. 
back in the 70s, he really got Lompoc football and he kind of started the groundwork. And my father-in-law actually played for him and went on to ASU. But there's always been tradition. I mean, I think it starts with the youth football kids. I mean, it's pretty clear cut, you know, when you grow up in Lompoc and you're a football player, you want to go to Lompoc High School and you want to win a league championship. I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, my dad, I lived down the street from Lompoc High School and I can remember him taking me down to a practice, hiding behind the fence and watching the Pauline Kaufman practice, you know? And so for me as a kid, you know, wearing the youth football jersey, I looked up to those guys that were in high school and, uh, you know, I wanted to be that guy in high school that the younger kids looked up to me. And so now I try to bring that back to where, you know, these these young kids are looking up to you guys on Friday nights so that one day they can play in Hawk Stadium and now, you know, be a part of something special. And it is something special. I, th- I think the Central Coast football is something special. Every time we come up there, we have to walk on the field and ask, wow, this is real grass, and people run the football. That is just the style that you guys have. How hard is it to get quarterbacks and wide receivers to buy into the fact that, you know, everybody does all these seven-on-seven things, and that's what gets the glory. But you guys up there, and it's not just you. It's a Tascadero. It's Paso Robles. It's a Royal Grande. You guys just play smash-mouth football. Is that just a, uh, the type of kids you guys get? Well, you know, I'd say uh, we, we try our best to play to the strengths of our personnel that we have. I'm, I think in – in those years, uh, we had great running backs. And over the past, sometimes our best running back happened to be our quarterback. So we would tailor things more to running with the quarterback. But ideally, yes. I mean, ultimately, you know, we were a wing T team for years. And then that was one of the things that I wanted to kind of get back into. Hey, let's put a running back back six to seven yards and let's run downhill in high school football and really football in general. I mean, if at the end of the day we have the time of possession in our favor and we took care of the football and we stopped the opponent's run game and we score first, it's like a 77% chance of winning a high school football game if you can do those things. And so uh, that's, kind of what we've that's I don't want to like uh well our style I guess you can say um there's been years where I've had a quarterback that you know was accurate and was able to throw and we tailored more things to that strength and um you know that's been the thing that I think we've done is uh you know for years I never went into shotgun and then all of a sudden, you know, you get a kid like Tory Sims or Cameron Air Baron that can run the ball. It's like, well, we might have to tweak some things here and not block that guy and he can read him and just creates another element to the offense. But ideally, yeah, we want to establish the run game. We uh, we always have, kind of always will. And, um, 
you know, don't want to get too cute and just kind of get after guys. And I think what we didn't have for a long time was the linemen. And that's kind of why we went to the wing T back when coach Lucan was the coach. And, um, for the last few years, we've had some decent linemen and it's a little bit different running sideways than running right at somebody. And so, uh, you know, when you get a good fullback, you got a good tight end and you get a group of linemen that kind of believe in, Hey, we're running right at you. It ultimately is going to come down to one-on-one matchups and can I beat the guy in front of me and do my job? And uh, we got a good running back here behind us. And if we if we have a hole, you know, that's a couple feet wide, that guy's going to hit it like a missile. And if we get five, six, seven yards of carry and just continue, I've never really worried about uh, scoring touchdowns. I think if you worry about moving the chains, the touchdowns will come, you know. And so that's kind of what we've been, been about. And uh, hopefully it continues. You talk about running the football. Now, you guys run the football. You ran the wing tee. And, and do you find that it's kind of a strategy thing or an X's and O's thing that when you guys come up against a passing team, they don't know how to deal with the run because they don't really see it? And then on the other hand, you guys don't see a lot of passing teams. So how do you guys deal with the spread? Well, for us – you know, I'd say in my first few years, we we would have a lot of success. Um, you know, hey, we got you. We got to play Lompoc in the first round, or we got to play Lompoc in the second round. And they start watching film on us, and they realize Tony, like, well, shoot, we haven't gone against anybody that runs two backs, and so it's you know, kind of a weapon for us, and. Uh, on the flip side, you know, we don't see as much spread teams around here. So then it's like, oh, shoot, we got to we got to get ready for, you know, four guys that can catch the ball and run. And, and so that's been uh, at times it could be our past defense has been a strength. But also at times, you know, it's been a weakness sometimes when you get in the playoffs and for 10 straight weeks, we've been able to stop the run, stop the run, uh, force the team to be one dimensional. And then on the flip side, we play a team that, uh, you know, won this seven on seven tournament down in LA all summer. And we got to stop the pass first because all they do is pass. So, um, that's something we just, I guess, continuously try to get used to. I think it starts in the off season when, um, you know, we started getting on the field there in spring and we start preparing for, you know, maybe a, a team that's we're playing week five that we know runs a spread. But when I took over in 2010, we completely changed the defense and and Don Cross was our AD slash defensive coordinator. And I basically told him, like, we don't have the big defensive linemen to put four guys down and, and run an even front. We got to run an odd front. And ideally what we wanted was to have three guys, three long poke football players that could slant around, make plays. And we're going to put eight guys back in the secondary, basically 
our eight best athletes that can tackle and cover. And we've had so much success running that 353 uh, robber package that that's kind of helped us in the playoffs as well because nobody really runs that. Um, and there's some three, four principles in it, but for the most part, um, we started going to that. And then, you know, there's been times where I could name five teams on the central coast that now have gone to that defense or have experienced, experimented with it as well. And, um, you know, it's kind of that old school Brian Erlacher, um, three, five, three defense that New Mexico ran years ago. So that's kind of helped us in the spread because if everybody reads their keys, we have the ability to, uh, you know, drop eight, you know, or rush nine. And if everybody's reading their key, whether it's, you know, if they get their run pass read right, we, we have the ability to collapse on a run. And obviously we have the ability to, to drop everybody too. So that's been helping us too when we go against these spread teams. Um, a couple of years ago, the there was a split. Some teams from up there, Arroyo Grande, Atascadero, Paso, they all split from the southern section and went to the central section. You guys stayed in the southern section. How did that affect the dichotomy of everything up there as far as scheduling, as far as leagues? And did it take long for you guys to have to adjust to that? Well, I think we're continuing to adjust. Um, you know, we entertained going to the central section maybe a little bit, but uh, I think the key for us was, would you rather drive on the 101 to the 134? Or the You know, that was, we felt, the most important thing, honestly, is driving on the 41 or the 166. And... The other thing was, you know, the southern sections, you know, a great section. And I just don't think, you know, we were ready to try to change it up that much. And, you know, it would have been for all sports. But uh, now we're going in. We're in the Channel League for one year uh, last year. And it was it was competitive. Other than two games, it was a competitive league. And so, uh, you know, now after one year of analytics, they're changing the league again to an association, which would combine the Pacific View League and the Channel League. And so that's the one downfall of this whole thing is that our travel, the geography, now we're going to have to play three Oxnard teams in the league and probably Santa Barbara and DP or Ventura or something. And then, you know, whenever you base things on equity, you're going to have six teams in a top league and six teams in a bottom league. And, uh, you know, right now these central coast schools, Santa Maria and above, you know, every coach I talk to just, can't really stand the way the leagues are because they have them in three, four team leagues now. And so now you got to find seven non-league games. And that's just a complete nightmare when you're trying to find that many non-league games. And so I'm hoping that our ADs just stick with two six-team leagues. And I know that some ADs want the three, four-team leagues, but 
you know, we were hoping to stay in the channel league, um, you know, because we were tied 21, 21 with DP going into the fourth quarter. They were coming off of a CIF champ, you know, going to the finals and we were, uh, playing Santa Barbara. We were up by six at halftime. And then San Inez, we were up by seven at halftime. They always play us tough. And so now because, you know, we're trying to make one or two schools better, we have to change the whole dynamic of the league and uh, get into this association. We actually tried to appeal um, because of geography. You know, in the handbook, it says geography enrollment and competitive equity all three of those um is how you decide a league and not one of those carry more weight than the other and so you know we go to these league meetings and um i just wish they would have followed the criteria so now you guys are going to be in a 12 team league but they're going to be it's going to be split into six each now, is it going to work where the bottom two teams from one league and the top two teams from the other league switch every year like they do down here with the Marmani, the Camino League? You know, where we're at, or at least have a six-team league so that we don't have the struggles of finding preseason games, you know? And um, it's just hard, you know, because once you start the – hey, let's make everybody better. Let's give everybody a trophy. They're going to end up doing it for every sport. And so that would be a scheduling nightmare for an AD that, you know, your baseball team's in the top league playing on Tuesday and Thursday. Your softball team's in the bottom league playing, you know, Wednesday, Friday. Your girls' basketball team, you know, is playing – Monday or Tuesday, Thursday nights and shoot for an AD. They might not get home till nine o'clock every night. And yeah, and it's an every night thing when you start doing that. Yeah. And so when you look at, you know, that league, we only won two league titles. And I think San Marcos ran one like 12. And so just, you know, football kind of carries the most weight, which I understand. And now, what we do, we're a smaller school. You know, we got 12, 1,300 kids like Cabrillo. San Inez probably got the biggest gripe because they're right right around 900. For us, you know, when we tried to appeal, we still haven't really got a clear-cut answer. But, you know, our AD went down to appeal, and they said something about you can't appeal an association. Well, technically, we're, we were appealing the league, right? And in the handbook, it says all three of those criterias are all equal. So if they're all equal, well, geography would probably win that case because we got to travel so far to play a league game. And then obviously with enrollment, now we got to go down and play schools that are twice our size when we're passing up schools that are already bigger than us, you know? And just because I think we do a great job, our AD is a huge advocate, athletes playing multiple sports and so when you watch San Marcos basketball team come in and just throttle us and then you realize that these San Mar- everyone on not one kid plays football and so 
now we're kind of being punished because we're a little bit too good in football, and so we got to go down and travel much further to play these other teams um, in the Ventura County, which I never thought ever, you know, growing up in this town that we would be in a league that far away when we got the dynamics have changed so much because these schools left to the central section and here and now we are in this channel league and we've only been in it for a year. And now it's looking like after this year, we're going to have to go into this association based on the fact that a couple teams might get better. It's just uh, disappointing, and um, it is kind of is what it is at this point. And you, you do it, you you know, you don't. We don't make the rules as coaches. We just kind of do what we're told, and, and and we just go with the flow and try and do what's best for the kids. Yeah, think about it, Tony. I mean, you go back to 2011. You got a criteria set forward. You know, hey, this is how you get in the state championship. We follow the criteria. It's not even a question on who's getting into the state title. And boom, we don't get in. And then you got here, here's a criteria in the handbook on how to form a league. And then we don't follow that, you know. And so I think I've been a little bit more outspoken because obviously I'm going to defend our guys. And to be perfectly honest with you, we we don't have the numbers we had in 2011. You know, we uh, – are barely getting by with a JV team. You know, we only had 28 freshmen coming this year. So now you're going to put us in a, a league uh, with yeah. Pacifica, Oxnard, Rio Mesa, and those guys that have double our enrollment. They're going to have three different levels. And, you know, we are, we are, uh, probably a couple of injuries on the JV team away from being a frost soft team. And so uh, that's, that's the part that bothers me a little bit is it's very political and there's the handbook with a criteria in it. And we're not, for some reason, we're not going to follow it, you know, and numbers are down in football. I think, you know, with, with you mentioned to kids playing one sport only. And I think, I think it's bad that kids only play one sport and I could go on for hours about that. And if kids are going to do that, then that takes numbers away from you. And with the concussion stuff and the safety stuff, I think parents are kind of maybe shying away from having their kids play football. And that's a shame. Yeah. I mean, football's changed. I think, um, actually for the better. I mean, I think football's safer than it's ever been. Um, I think every coach I talk to, every coach I've been around, we are all, all of us, you know, are trying to take the head out of the game, um, emphasizing the shoulder. And, uh, not only that, I believe the, uh, you know, the uh, the referees have done a great job in our in our association here. They're huge advocates of safety and um, taking a big hit out of it. And um, you know the helmets are better, the shoulder pads are better, and you know hopefully it's just a bump in the road and the numbers start to go up. And uh, you know we. Uh, continue to have football being one of the best sports in the country. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, 
Before I let you go, I want to do a just five questions real quick. You give me your your answer right away. Uh, I call it my fast five. Your favorite college football team? I cannot pinpoint one. I just got so many friends that coach at these different places. Tony, you put me on the spot here. I'll go with uh, I'll go with USC. All right. If you weren't teaching and coaching, what would you be doing? Uh, I'd be golfing. <laughs> Your favorite childhood cartoon? Uh, probably the Looney Tunes. Your favorite movie of all time? Con Air. Okay. And your favorite memory from your playing career? Sarah, CIF championship game, walking through this tunnel at Sarah High School and just seeing this sea of blue walking out as a captain in that CIF championship game still gives me the chills to this day. That's that's awesome. Uh, And hey, would you do me a favor and say hi to Ma and Pa Demetratis for me? Absolutely. I'll let them know you said hi. Every year we come up, we're, we're saying hi. Um, and Andrew, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this with me. Uh, look forward to hopefully getting up there this year to do one of your games because it's always a treat to make the ride up to the Central Coast and see you guys and, and see the Lompoc Braves on a grass field. Oh, yeah. Well, I have some bad news for you, Tony. It's looking like, looking like we might be getting some turf here very soon. Save me a piece of sod. You know, I will, but uh, we can also, if you ever want to step foot on some grass, just give me a call. We can go golfing. We, we, we should do that. We should hook up, try and hook up our boys' teams this year for a match. Maybe we can meet in Santa Barbara or something. That would be great. Let's do it. Let's do it. Fantastic. All right, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time, and good luck the rest of the way as you guys try and march towards another CIF championship. All right, Tony, I appreciate it. All right. Have a great one. All right. Take care. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. If you have suggestions, please throw them my way. You can find me on Twitter at Tony Moskal. Any feedback, positive, negative, looking forward to whatever you have to say about it. I hope you continue to tune in. Until the next time, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.